Welcome to Zoni Living. We're getting ready to go to the moon. If you are a deer or a cow or a red-tailed hawk out on the remote, wide-open spaces of Babbitt Ranches north of Flagstaff, you'd likely be sharing the landscape with some otherworldly activity happening out there. NASA and Japan's space organization, JAXA, have been performing drills with the support of the Desert Rats, the Desert Research and Technology Studies team, and also the scientists of the U.S. Geological Survey, along with engineers and communications technicians. They are preparing right now for the upcoming Artemis missions that are expected to put humans back on the moon with moonwalking and moon roving operations in just a few years. You're looking at the moon rover prototype through the lens of Chad D'Alva's Lightforce Media drone and on the ground video. Astronauts have been living in this vehicle for days at a time and at a top speed of eight miles per hour. They've been testing the rover using its many cameras to understand how well they can see and navigate the rocky surface similar to the moon's, even in the dark, because that's what the Artemis III mission will be experiencing at the Lunar South Pole, as mission manager Barbara Janoiko explains. The biggest challenge with this mission is operating at night. So when we go to the Lunar South Pole, the sun will be at a very low angle, and it'll create very long shadows and permanently shadowed regions. And so to try to simulate that here, we've tested at night, and we've brought our own portable sun, basically a bright light that we've kept low on the horizon. Um, and we've had lights on the rover as well as lights on the shirt sleeve backpacks that we've used in place of spacesuits. And so just really the biggest challenge is trying to understand uh, how to operate in this low lighting condition with these different artificial and natural lighting sources, and what can you see and explore in that type of environment. Joining me now from Flagstaff, where she has been teaching astronauts about geology and how to identify different kinds of rocks in the area, is USGS researcher Lauren Edgar. Lauren, you've been training this generation of astronauts for several years now, and I know being out there on Babbitt Ranches with you during these recent exercises, you could just feel the excitement. Absolutely. You know, it's a, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're just coming off of an exciting month of field analog operations in Flagstaff. Uh, for this most recent test, we were out at Black Point Lava Flow, uh, shown in the, the image in the background here, about 45 minutes north of Flagstaff. Um, and as you just heard, this project was a collaboration between NASA and JAXA, as well as partners at the USGS. And it was just really exciting having this awesome team of scientists and engineers bringing them all together to think about some of the best ways to explore the moon. And there really is a lot of momentum right now. It's, it's really starting to feel real. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And I love that backdrop you've got there with the, with the rover behind you. So there are three Artemis missions coming up. Um, the first is an uncrewed trip around the moon, and Artemis II will then carry a crew around the moon, and Artemis III will bring astronauts to the moon. The recent training for those astronauts is called JET-3. That's J-E-T-T-3 which is kind of a dress rehearsal using moonlight conditions on Earth for the training. Lauren, I know you're heavily involved, involved in that. Yeah, so prior to doing this uh, NASA Desert Rats mission with the pressurized rover, we had the joint EVA test team, or JET-3, was doing a similar analog field test uh, just on the other side of the highway. So also here in Flagstaff uh, near SP Crater, and this was really the first time having this huge integrated team uh, since Apollo. So we had astronauts in the field. They were testing a model for the suit and the tools and the communications that we would need. And we were working with a large team in Houston Mission Control. 
including a flight control team and having a science evaluation room full of uh, all the scientists that were eager to understand and analyze the data that was being sent back. So for that test, we did four EBAs near SP Crater. So those are those practice extravehicular activities that we expect to do on the moon. And this test really represented you know, many months of hard work for the science team getting ready for the test and thinking about the science products that we need to prepare to better send humans back to the moon through Artemis. Um, but there are many more Artemis missions that are planned, um, including uh, having a lunar gateway, so a space station that will be in orbit around the moon, uh, and how we can better use that uh, integrated with uh, astronauts going to the surface. And then ultimately down the line, we hope to have a pressurized rover that will enable crew to go much further from the lander. Um, and so that's where this uh, particular rover that you see in the background here would come into some of those much later Artemis missions. Absolutely fascinating. Well, for the mission, the Artemis three mission coming up, more than ever before, we're really interested in the science and what those missions will find, including, we hope, signs of water. Yes, there's a lot of great science that can be done at the Lunar South Pole. And the reason that we are heading to the Lunar South Pole is that we expect there to be volatiles, potentially water ice, uh, in some of the permanently shadowed regions there. And that could be a really good resource for future exploration. Um, it's also a good chance you know, to go to this part of the moon that we've never explored before and to better understand the moon's formation and evolution and to sample some geologic units that are really old and reveal information about the impact cratering history. And one of the cool things about the moon is that it's really been this kind of witness plate to everything that we experienced here on the Earth, but maybe we don't have a record of that anymore uh, because of plate tectonics on the Earth that have actively uh, destroyed some of those earlier records. So there's a lot of great science to be done and uh, good reasons to be going to the Lunar South Pole. Well, I find that really interesting. I know one of the things that the U.S. Astrogeology Center does is focus on mapping places other than Earth. So what can you tell us about the landing site and, and perhaps the craters that are in the, the near vicinity? Yeah, so right now we haven't narrowed down an exact landing spot because it's difficult to get to all the regions on the moon, uh, depending on your launch window and orbital mechanics. Uh, but NASA recently announced 13 different regions of interest at the Lunar South Pole. And right now, the planetary science community is working to understand those areas in more detail, including the geology and mineralogy, the potential hazards that might exist, uh, the challenging lighting conditions. Uh, in terms of what the terrain might look like, there are some really big old impact craters in that area. Uh, we don't necessarily expect to see lava flows like the one that you can see in the, the background here, right. uh, because that terrain has just been pummeled over and over again by impact craters um, over time. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of loose, fluffy regolith, probably. Uh, but that will tell a really interesting story. Uh, and then the other thing I should mention at the Lunar South Pole is the, the sun will be extremely low on the horizon. And so one way that we can simulate that during these analog missions is to conduct these missions at night with a big spotlight acting as the portable sun. Uh, so that's probably why you might have heard us talking about some of the nighttime uh, analog operations out here. So fascinating. Well, I want to also talk about the moon rover specifically, which is really the star out there on the landscape, what everybody wanted to see inside of. And uh, we can see that this is maybe about the size of a tank or a small RV. You and I were both inside of it, and both of us got to drive it, which was amazing. So we're turning. It has 12 wheels that can make a 90-degree turn to make the rover go sideways, which is really pretty wild. There's a bit of a delay between what the driver wants the rover to do using a joystick and then the time it takes for all those wheels to line up. And the way it handles rocks and small boulders with ease, it goes up and down hills, it's, it's surprisingly comfortable, actually. Uh, 
what can you tell us about this rover? And there, there you are inside the rover. Tell us about uh, when, when astronauts are staying in there, and indeed they did uh, during training recently, how does this fold into a comfortable place to be? Yeah, so as you can see, it's actually quite spacious, I would say. You can stand up fully inside of it. That's true. Um, yes. And, you know, it's important to have a pressurized rover because then the crew can exist inside without spacesuits. So they have all of their needs, um, you know, oxygen, food, ability to go to the bathroom, all of that, in and places to sleep inside the rover. So how um, many? So that will enable us to travel even further uh, distances from the lander and then only suit up when you go out on these extravehicular activities. And what we are just seeing is that um, this particular rover has a cockpit with two pilots, so you can toggle back and forth as to which um, which astronaut is controlling the rover. Um, there are some benches in the back that fold down into beds, and there's a toilet in between. And then, you know, their life inside, they were spending about two and a half days per simulation in there. And for meals, they were having dehydrated food, like backpacker's pantry or mountain house, um, which would be equivalent to, you know, a lot of the dehydrated food that's used on space station right now. So everyone said it worked out pretty well. They were they were very comfortable for the time that they spent in there. Uh, and I'm glad we had the chance to test it out as well. Yeah. So as you were mentioning, there's two beds in there. So was that only taking two astronauts at a time then? Correct. Yeah. So for this test, we were only doing two at a time, um, with the exception of the second um, test that we ran. We had a couple astronauts that got rained out. Um, actually, in this image, you could see we had some weather uh, one of the evenings. And oh, so yes. Um, we were able to pick up some additional nighttime driving practice. And so at one point we did have four astronauts inside the rover, um, but most of the tests, most of the time were planned as two. Um, so you can fit additional crew, but the, the goal right now is to aim for two of them. Well, Lauren, this is incredibly inspirational to experience history unfolding on the Arizona landscape. And you are right there. You're right there in the middle of all this, playing a key role, making sure our astronauts are prepared with anything they may encounter on the lunar service. How does that How does that feel? I think it's really exciting that we are seriously planning on sending astronauts back to the moon. Um, I personally was really inspired by Apollo, and this feels like our generation's Apollo era. Um, so it's you know a real privilege that we're at this point in human history that we can step off of this world and onto another, and even more special to be connected to those who might be making some of those first steps. Um, and I can just say from the astronauts that I've worked with, I think the, the future of human space exploration is in great hands, and it's a huge honor to be part of this process. Well, I hope you come back and talk to us again, Lauren, because uh, we'll just be seeing more and more excitement as we build up to some of these missions taking off. USGS geologist and Artemis missions astronaut trainer Lauren Edgar, always great to talk with you and to see you out there in northern Arizona in this historic effort to get us all back to the moon. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your world and sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you again, Lauren. Another interesting note, NASA plans to use 4G cell phone technology on these missions. You can read more about how we're getting ready for the moon at flagstaffbusinessnews.com. And as has been the case since the Apollo missions, Babbitt Ranches has been there supporting space exploration, providing access to the rocky, high desert, geologically interesting lands. You can see Billy Cordasco right here. He is the president of Babbitt Ranches stepping off of the moon rover. The Babbitt Ranches community and USGS and NASA also have been engaged in conversations about a land use ethic, practice on Babbitt Ranches, of course, and being carried right into the new worlds. This word now from mission manager Barbara Genoico. We're 
We have land ethics here on the Babbitt property that we maintain, and then we're going to carry that forward as we explore other future uh, destinations in the solar system. It just makes you feel good, doesn't it? This is Zoni Living. I'm Bonnie Stevens.